Hello and welcome to the Seems Legit Podcast, hosted by your favorite craft beer drinking, whiskey sipping, bourbon appreciating, sushi eating, steak craving, tell it like it is, poker playing guitarist, the dude himself, the dude Sunny D. Hello and welcome to the Seems Legit Podcast, hosted by your favorite craft beer drinking, whiskey sipping, bourbon appreciating, sushi eating, steak craving, speedo wearing, tell it like it is, poker playing guitarist, the dude himself, the dude Sunny D. Thank you all for the continued and growing support here on the Seems Legit Podcast. Big shout out to all our friends of the podcast, Vegas Squares Podcast, Self-Fixed Doctor, Zero Gravity Games, Skin Dimensions Tattoos. All right, let's get into this. Let's talk some hockey right now. So we're getting down to the end of the regular season here. As you guys know, I am a big hockey fan. Um, And my last episode, I was mentioning that, so... Uh, I think you guys all know that, uh, saying how I like tennis. and Anyway, um, in my last episode, saying how I like tennis uh, more than... I mean, sorry, a good tennis match can be better to watch uh, than a uh, boring hockey game. And I think that's... I mean, I, I believe it. And I think actually even a mediocre tennis match is is great to watch but i'm a, I'm a fan of tennis but anyway um anyway i, I uh, want to talk about hockey today because i am a huge hockey fan played hockey uh, my entire life so uh let's get into this so um in the eastern conference we've got things kind of interestingly shaping up uh boston and toronto um, we're playing flip-flop there for a second and third spot in the division. Um, neither one of those teams is coming anywhere close to catching uh, Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is like a good 20 points ahead uh, with 10 games left. So they'll just about clinch it uh, with one more win uh, there. So uh, with Tampa Bay pretty much getting the President's Trophy, they're going to clinch their divisions. They'll get one of the wild card. But Boston Toronto are on an interesting collision course. I think it was last year they met in the playoffs. And I was talking to my buddy Nick about it, and we were saying, you know, the funny thing about Toronto and Boston is that, I mean, the big bad Bruins are the big bad Bruins, and they've kept their system going, and they've stayed consistent. I would say over the last 15 years, they've been one of the most consistent teams in the NHL. Uh, ever since kind of they got the Tim Thomas, Tuka Rass, they got Marchand, all of them, that era has been one of the most consistent in hockey over that time they've won a cup in that time i mean they haven't won three and four cups that some of the other teams have actually no no teams won four yeah no pittsburgh's won three they've made four cup finals chicago three yeah but anyway uh i digress boston's been a consistent team however their their stars are getting older whereas the toronto stars are entering their prime or are in their prime and yet the rhetoric still seems to be in the thought pattern. I'm kind of guilty of it too, is that the Bruins should beat Toronto. But, you know, as my buddy Nick said, should they though? Should they be the favorite? Or is, I mean, is Toronto now getting in this vicious kind of excuse-making habit and mediocre play habit against the Bruins and kind of hurting themselves? I kind of have to wonder a little bit. I mean, the the Leafs do have Matthews. They have Marner. They have Kapanen, Kadri, Tavares, um, Riley. The whole nine yards. Uh, I, I mean, Gardner's gone through his things. Um, you know, Frederick Anderson, who if you listen to them talk on TSN uh, on, the, on Leafs Lunch and sometimes Don Cherry too, would have you believing Frederick Anderson is the best goalie in the league. And he's one of them. He is one of the top goalies in the league. 
Um, I kind of looked at Frederick Anderson as the, not so much what he did do, but what he didn't do. Um, and in Anaheim there, I felt when, uh, they lost to Chicago in the Western final, I thought Anaheim should have won that series. And I thought it was due in large part to Frederick Anderson, um, him still having the reins over Gibson. And I believe that was kind of when Anaheim said, okay, we need to just go with Gibson now and move on. And I mean, I believe Gibson is the best goalie in the NHL. Uh, I think he has a firm command over that. It's hard to argue. I've always been a fan of Braden Holtby's. And I think he has that ability that when he's on, he's on. Uh, and just the epitome of consistency and composure. Uh, that's one thing I've noticed about uh, Braden Holtby his entire career is his ability to stay composed and just let it go. Uh, even when he's playing badly, he just, eh, it's happening today, whatever, um, and bounce right back. So, and, and Holtby's kind of one of those ones, too, that'll win you those 5-4 games. That when you finally need the goalie to just shut down and not let anything more in, he'll do it. Uh, more so than any of the other goalies. Uh, I don't know if you were to, you know, even included Vasilevsky in that conversation. If um, Vondre Vasilevsky, to my opinion, is as good as Gibson or Holtby. Uh, but nonetheless, so Toronto should actually, and even Tuka Rask is now getting up there in age. It's down to his birthday and he's turning 42. You know, this isn't a young Bruins team we're talking about anymore. And I ha- I just, I really feel like the Leafs need to step up here. And I do think... Anything less than a second-round appearance is a disappointment if you're the Leafs. Uh, no, last year... No, yeah, last year I think was when they lost to the Bruins, yeah. Um, they, they really cannot... Uh, they had that good showing a couple of years ago in Washington, but good showings only go so far. And I don't know if your management, if you're kind of looking at the Babcock kind of experiment as, okay, maybe Babcock has run his course here. Maybe there's only so much the great Mike Babcock can do. Maybe we do need someone else in here. Um, I can think of a great name off the bat, top of my head, Joel Quenville, uh, three cups with Chicago. So, and maybe that's kind of where they're going. Maybe they do know. I mean, Quenville hasn't taken another job in the league as far as I know. So with Quenville kind of looming over the league right now as the most desirable free agent coach, I could maybe see a shakeup behind the bench. Maybe the message is getting a little stale. Maybe he's not utilizing the talent. But I don't know. Mike Babcock's a hell of a coach, um, a great manager of talent, and I think um, he'll be fine regardless. I, I can't imagine him going out of work for very long. So, you know, sometimes the message does get stale. It's really hard in hockey, I find. When the players start to get frustrated, they seem to tune out their coaches. And I find it happens in hockey more so than a lot of other sports. I mean, I think it was the great Alex Ferguson. Sir Alex Ferguson over in Manchester United was their coach for how many years? Uh, Scotty Bowman in Detroit. <clears throat> Even Barry Trotz in Nashville to an extent. I don't know that Trotz wasn't getting the job done anymore. I think they just needed a fresh perspective, and that's why. And he was picked up right away. It happens. It's part of the game. I think coaches come to understand it just sucks, but it's part of the game. That the days of that longevity of of being a career coach behind a particular bench kind of seem to be going away. But I mean, we are also seeing some bench bosses that have been around a while there. John Cooper has been around quite some time now in uh, Tampa Bay. Um, Paul Maurice now has been around quite a few years in uh, Winnipeg. No, Trot's no longer in Washington. That's right. Um, Yeah. Anyway, uh, with that being said, 
I think that that could be. I think Toronto needs to move on. I think if you're Boston, you've had a great run, a great push. You've gotten the most out of a, you know an aging core. And you're it's part of the system. Just get the next guys ready to go to keep the system going. Um, nonetheless, all of that is significantly better than the disaster, which is the Ottawa Senators. Oh, my God. Um, I mean, it's it's just... I feel bad for those fans on every possible level. But the the Atlantic Division is looking like it's going to shape up as Tampa Bay, Boston, and Toronto in that order. Uh, in the Met, that's a little interesting because I do think it is still going to be a, a two-team race between uh, Washington and the Islanders. And, I mean, Washington has really closed some ground now in the last little bit. They've, you know, they're plus uh, four in the last 10 games, I mean, they've won, they've gained uh, four more points on the Islanders. And it was kind of, I mean, who would have thought the Islanders? But, I mean, again, Barry Trotz behind the bench, which makes you kind of wonder, I mean, if you're those fans, no wonder they hate John Tavares so much. And it's almost like, you know, I think, and I get it, like there was a lot of talk about why he got the reaction he did. And I think a big, big, big part of it is because of the circumstance. I think the fans really did believe he was sticking around. And for him not to, they really took as a big kind of kick in the teeth. Um, and I get it. And I mean, especially that they are good this year. Um, could very well win the Met, which does change a lot of things actually for them. As And we'll talk about the wild card picture. But, I mean, if you're Tavares and you're the Islanders and you're the Leafs, I mean, fuck that's, I don't think Tavares thought they were going to be good. I don't think so. I think it's sad to say I think he had felt he had given enough to the Islanders and thought the Leafs were going to be in the next dynasty in the East, um, which they very well could be. I just don't like this mental hurdle they seem to have with the Bruins. I think that's completely unnecessary. Um, but that's that division. Over in the West, uh, again, appearing still to be a consistent uh, two-team race uh, there up top in the Central between Winnipeg and Nashville, which I do think... Uh, Winnipeg will comfortably because if they run out um, playing identical hockey to Nashville, which they appear to have done in their last 10, they're both five and five, both one, two straight. I do think um, Winnipeg, I mean, mathematically speaking, if they even out, Winnipeg does hold on. So Winnipeg's put themselves in position here to win the central and be in control of their own destiny, which is nice as a Winnipegger and a fan of the Jets. Uh, also, again, sets up those favorable first round matchups. Um, they have had some weird struggles with St. Louis, which made me kind of not overly optimistic about them playing St. Louis in the first round and letting Nashville deal with St. Louis. Um, so I think earning that would be huge for them. And then over in the Pacific division, which is just fucking crazy, is that of the two teams that have clinched playoff spots so far, one is Tampa Bay, the other is the Calgary Flames. And maybe I've just kind of ignorantly closed my eyes to them at the beginning of the season. I don't know. But um, Calgary's still on top of that Pacific Division. They're finding a way. They're grinding away. And I think when I look at them and I look at their team and I look at the players they have, I think they have gotten forgotten. I think they were able to build a team, slip under the radar of attention, and just slowly and silently become one of those threatening contending teams. Again, if they get if they win the Pacific, they have a much better chance, I think, in the first round than if they have to face Vegas. Vegas has quietly um, slipped under the radar as well. And based on potential matchups, I could see Vegas getting to a second straight cup final. 
um, which would be interesting. I would love to see Washington and Vegas in the cup final again. I think that'd be really cool. Um, but regardless, um, if Calgary holds on on top of the Pacific, against one of those things, San Jose is another year older. This is not a young core in San Jose. Not at all. Um, when Evander Kane might even be the young guy on the team, and I don't even know if he's that young anymore. Uh, so, I mean, I think he's still in his 20s. He has to be. Uh, but, you know, when that's being said, <clears throat> you know, I think Vegas has a favor. You know, if Vegas gets San Jose in the first round, whichever team Vegas gets in the first round, I think they get by. They'll outwork them and outskill them. Uh, and they're pretty stacked right now. So let's take a look at the wild card situation so we can make some kind of matchup predictions here, um, some standing predictions going into the last 10 games of the season. All right, so um, currently, as I said, in the Atlantic, 1-2-3 is Tampa, Boston, Toronto. I think that stays the same. Um, in the Met, it's New York, Washington, Pittsburgh. Uh, I think that also will probably. I think in the Met, I'm trying to think who, which of the other teams is in the the Met. Oh, Columbus. That's right. Uh, Columbus is four points back now of Pittsburgh, so Columbus is barely hanging on to a wild card spot. Yeah, I think that finishes off the same. Again, fuck. If you're Washington, I mean, if you're Washington, you've gotten over the hurdle of beating Pittsburgh once before, but this is kind of the problem people are having with the playoff format. If the playoffs started tomorrow, you have Washington and Pittsburgh in the first round. And I, I just don't, I have some issues with that. I think that's a little ridiculous um, to set that up. And for the foreseeable future, that could be a, an every year first round matchup. And I don't think you want to waste two of the biggest stars um, and, and essentially an era of the sport against each other in the first round. So it'll be interesting if that is the way it finishes. I do think those teams do finish one, two, three. And I think I've um, been predicting that. No, I think uh, Columbus was actually, I think I don't know you so Columbus was still in it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. In the first round there, I like Washington again. I think they get it done. Um, but let's look at the wild card teams. We've got Carolina and Columbus. Um, if the playoffs are tomorrow, Columbus would get Tampa Bay. Carolina would get New York. Um, I think, I mean, you never know what's going to happen in Montreal. Uh, I think the, the Flyers are pretty much done. I think it's a three-team race for the two wildcard spots between Carolina, Columbus, and Montreal. Never would have thought Carolina was making the playoffs this year. Columbus, as I said, threw away the how uh, they, they gave away the uh, barn, so to speak, to get assets to try and make a deep run this year. And I had talked about this on another episode about if I felt as a team's general manager, if that's the best decision. I mean, I think the guy's name is Kimo Kikalainen is the general manager of Columbus. And he had the most unenviable spot, I think, of any general manager going into the trade deadline. His two biggest players essentially have said, we're going to, we're probably leaving. And he hasn't been able to build around that core hasn't been able to really improve the team. They've relied very heavily on Bobrovsky. And I think every year their success is dependent on Sergei Bobrovsky. And there's only so much a goalie can do that. And for so long a goalie can do that, they eventually need some help. And with that being said, he had a tough job because, I mean, if you let them go, if you trade them away and announce it's a rebuild, they were still, I think, at the top of the division or close to it at that time. How do you throw away the division lead? I mean, that's a tough sell to your fan base. And I don't know if you're sticking around for the rebuild at that point. So they decided to go all in and say, all right, let's bring in some talent. They did. They brought in Dezingle and Duchesne. Didn't give up any major roster assets. 
um, to bolster and provide some secondary help for uh, Panarin. Okay, the problem is they're barely clinging. Well, they're they they got they're they got three points on Montreal, so and they have the same amount of games remaining. So um, I don't envy Montreal in that situation. So I'd said, okay, fine. If Columbus gets out, who do they face? Okay. If they don't win the division, I think is what I had said was the big issue. And I believe that to be the issue, which they're not going to do anymore. So they're not winning the Metropolitan Division anytime soon. You now have to wonder, okay, who do they beat in the first round? They're not beating Tampa Bay. I can, I can just about guarantee that. I don't see um, Columbus pulling off the upset of the year and beating Tampa Bay. That's just not going to happen. If they can't beat Tampa Bay, who can they beat? Well, they're not going to, you know, maybe they pass Carolina. Okay. I don't know that they beat the Islanders. The Islanders' goaltending now is solid, rock solid. Uh, I think they are they have the top goals against top, uh, save percentage, all of that. How are you beating that? You're not. So they don't get out of the first round. They're going to lose their draft picks. All of those guys that they have, their top four, are all unrestricted free. I think even Dezingle is an uh, unrestricted free agent. So unless you can somehow convince them that, okay, we can continue to make moves to be better going into next year and convince all of them to take discounts to stay together for a core that's played 20 games together, that is a fucking tough sell. And I don't know that you can do it. I don't, I don't know that anybody buys it at that point. Um, and I think you get a whole shift. I mean, Tortorella's done the best he can, I think. And I mean, he's a polarizing figure himself. Uh, and it's tough. I mean, he's in a bind. I think you're going to see a whole regime change there. I think you're going to see basically a brand new, uh, Columbus Blue Jackets next year, a uh, new general manager, new coach, basically new team, which is tough. Uh, cause I think they, oh, they even got a goalie too. I think they even got like Keith Kincaid, um, from New Jersey, so they really went all in in a very unenviable position. Um, to use a poker analogy, it's like sh you know, it's like someone you know shoving with kings to you. You thinking, oh, okay, what do I do with ace king? Making the marginal call there. I don't even know if that's you know the ace king call. Just to have someone behind you shove all in as well, and or you know basically get your chips in when it's aces versus kings versus ace king. I jet all you're praying for is a straight. Really, um, like that's the that's the that's just a grimy situation to be in. I think that's what Columbus did is they just got their chips in bad. They just got them in really really bad, and you know Ace King versus Ace Ace King versus Kings versus Aces. I mean it's those kind of situations that you just don't want to fucking be in. Um, so, I mean, that was even like the World Series. I think what happened, yeah, the, what happened to set the, fi the, the final nine was aces versus kings versus kings. Um, like, those are those situations that just fucking suck. And I think, actually, of all of them, there was the kings that were live. Uh, there's one guy who, had a, um, who was live uh, with the king. One of the kings was live, one wasn't. Yeah, one, I think, was double covered. Yeah, I think that was what it was. Yeah, it was It was awkward. Um, but regardless, which I mean, could run out, right? You could see the flush happen. So crazier things have happened in poker, but regardless, this was a bad, they, they, this is getting your chips in pretty bad if you're Columbus. And I think, I think Kekalein just got himself in that trap. He got himself in a position where he just didn't handle his 
cards right, handle his position well. And it, it happens. Um, he did do a good job of building a decent team in Columbus. Problem is Columbus has always struggled at keeping stars. They lost Sergei Fedorov. They lost Rick Nash. They lost Jeff Carter. It just seemed like star after star did not want to be there. Um, so it is what it is. You um, look at the Western picture race, as I said, I think Winnipeg takes the central. Uh, it's looking right now. Well, I mean, Dallas could pick up, could gain some ground. So, so Nashville and Winnipeg are going to come one, two in that division. Um, Na- Winnipeg, as I said, probably gets the wild, um, gets the division. So you're going to have Nashville versus either St. Louis or Dallas in the first round. I like them against both teams. I think St. Louis pushes them a little more than Dallas, but I don't know. Dallas has been a weird team the last few years. They've been supposed to be good and haven't been. And then now this year, they're kind of okay. So I don't know. We'll see if Ben Bishop has another good run. I still think that leg of his might even still be messed up from that playoff run with Tampa Bay. So we'll see. Um, But yeah, I think Winnipeg gets that and they get one of the two wildcard teams Uh, in the Pacific. uh, That could go down either way. San Jose is gaining ground on Calgary. They are the veteran team. They do have the experience um, grinding out to get these division titles. I think they viewed last year as a bit of a disaster uh, and a bit of a failure, uh, very similarly to how Nashville would have. Um, I mean, even though Vegas was the story of the of the league, I think San Jose felt they should have won the division last year as well as that, um, what's it called, as well as that series. So it, it could set up an interesting thing where if San Jose and Vegas meet in the first round, that's going to be a tough series, a very, very tough series. Calgary gets, um, as of right now, they would get Arizona in the first round. That's a very winnable matchup for them. Dallas would be um, against Winnipeg. That's an awkward one for Winnipeg because from what I always remember, um, since the Jets have been back, they've always kind of struggled awkwardly with Dallas. So I don't know if I like it. But again, Winnipeg is, is a deep, talented team. I think they win a playoff series. I think a one-and-done Dallas can pull off. I don't know if they win four games before Winnipeg wins four games in a series. So I think Winnipeg kind of easily moves on, setting up a potential rematch there. Um, I don't know if I like the way in St. Louis, though. Winnipeg, their toughest matchup out of the first two rounds is going to be the first round. Because I think if they face Nashville in the second round, uh, they get past Nashville again this year. Uh Calgary and Vegas in the second round for me um, as the other Western semifinal. And then I predict Vegas versus Winnipeg again in the Western final. And and Vegas possibly again taking it. I think that top line for Vegas is pretty stacked. Um, I don't know that the Jets have recovered what Stasny brought to that line with Ehlers and Line yet. I mean, they have they do have a good team, a deep team, all of that. I just don't know if they've replaced and been able to recapture what they had. I could be wrong, but I just that's what I see there. And I mean, with that being said, I think Marc Andre Fleury, if he gets hot, could steal the series for Vegas. So Vegas moving on there out of the West again. In the East, let's say everything stays the same as of right now. You're gonna have. Uh, Tampa Bay and Columbus, Carolina and New York out of the two uh, wildcard matchups. Tampa Bay crushes Columbus. I mean, it doesn't even end up being close. 
New York, I think, beats uh, Carolina. I just think Carolina runs out of momentum. I think they would have loved to have had Jeff Skinner. I think if they had Skinner, this is a team that could uh, that could have pulled off the upset. But I think they lost Skinner and they lost a lot in losing Skinner. Uh, in the other t- in the divisional matchups, I see Washington getting past Pittsburgh. I think they lost their last game to Pittsburgh, but I think Washington's over the Pittsburgh slump and can beat them now if they want to. Uh, Boston against Toronto. I hate to say it, um, and uh, pick against a Canadian team, uh, but I, I guess I did it with uh, Vegas against uh, Calgary and Winnipeg. Um, Boston, I think, beats uh, Toronto. I think they have a psychological edge over Toronto, and I think you see a major shakeup in Toronto going into next year. Um, it's hard to sell the discounts at that point with a team that isn't getting out of the first round. Uh, that's that. So that that would be my first round. So with that being said, now you'd have Tampa Bay and Boston, uh, Washington and New York. I think Washington gets by New York. I think they're just they'd be a little too much for New York and could grind them out, and Ovechkin will uh, light them up. I think you'll have – I could see Boston pulling the upset and grinding down Tampa Bay. If that is the case and you see Boston-Washington, I do see, again, a Washington win. I think Washington at a certain point has to reach those points where they're a good matchup against whosoever's left or in their foreseeable path. In that case, I like them to get past both Washington, either Tampa Bay or Boston. Their hardest matchup is going to be the first round if it started right now against Pittsburgh. That's their toughest one. Again, moving on, we have a rematch of last year's cup final, Washington against uh, Vegas. I think this year you would see a closer series. I, th- I could see it going seven games, and I could even go as far as to saying I could see it going either way. If Ovechkin takes charge the way he did, and I mean the greatest example of Ovechkin willing his team to win last year was when there was, I forget if it was game two or game three, where he single-handedly battled all the Vegas players around the net, in front of the net, battling for the puck, getting the puck, shooting, 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 and eventually scoring the goal. He was throwing the body everything and did it all himself for one of the goals was just him willing his team to win if Ovechkin does that he's the most talented skilled just best player out of both teams and because it's such a big jump from him to the next um I don't know that 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 Vegas would be able to overcome that Uh, Washington's also done a great job of always being able to mix up their lines I think they just Again, be a little too much. I think Washington takes it again in seven. Um, This time, though, game seven would be in Washington rather than in Las Vegas. So we'll see how that plays out. But those are my predictions for now. I think the biggest story, though, um, I mean, with uh, was Edmonton kind of towards the end of the season and going into the offseason will be. Uh, Edmonton was trying to make a light push. And I think they were the Canadian kind of sports channels were giving them a little more credit than they possibly deserved. Um, when at the end of the day, Edmonton's only six and four in their last 10 games. Um, six and four does not get you into the playoffs. Uh, Chicago's making a better push and started their push earlier than Edmonton. Um, and I mean, yeah, those, the, even Colorado, they're four points back. It's, it's going to be tough. It's tough at this point in the last 10 games. You really have to go eight and two or 8-0-1 even, I would say. Yeah, you really have to go 8 or 8-0-2 to really have a shot of leapfrogging teams at this point in the season. 
I don't know which of those teams, uh, I haven't looked at their schedules, really has a shot of doing that. Uh, especially Edmonton essentially has to make up seven points. That's not happening. They're done. Uh, and it'll be, So it'll be interesting to see what McDavid and Dryside will do for the rest of the season. If they try to pump up their own numbers or if they kind of throw in the towel. Uh, I think his team, uh, if you are McDavid, I think his team has tried a little too late, though, to get their shit together this year. T- Connor McDavid has a really tough summer ahead of him. Not even summer, a tough spring ahead of him. I don't want this dragging out for him. I don't think it should drag out for him. He has a very tough decision when it comes to staying in Edmonton or asking for a trade. I don't know that sticking around in Edmonton is a good idea for him or anyone at this point. I think his best chances of doing anything productive in Edmonton are behind them. They've taken so many steps backwards uh, since they've gotten him and around him. It's just, I think, a little too little, uh, too little too late. And if you're him, it's hard to justify wasting another one of your best years on a shitty team if you want to win a championship. Um, I've long said that Peter Shirelli comes across to me there. Like that situation with Peter Shirelli in Edmonton reminds me so much of Vince Russo uh, going to WCW, where everybody thought Vince McMahon sent uh, Vince Russo over there to deliberately sabotage and shut down WCW because nobody could have done a worse job with WCW than Vince Russo. Uh, well, that's what many of the wrestling figures say, and and I mean, is in the wrestling community widely. Um, the consensus was that Vince Russo ran that company to the ground almost in such a way that it's like you had to, you couldn't have tried and done a better job. Like he was a mastermind at doing it. And um, like I remember as a kid even watching that. But anyway, I'm digressing. Shirelli was almost like he was sent over from the Eastern Conference to be like, hey, don't let McDavid ever get into the playoffs again. Just don't let it happen. Um, because of just, it just seemed like bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, um, was made in Edmonton. And I just, I don't get it. I really and truly don't get it. I think they tried to make an NFL game once where it was all about the back office. It was a video game for like the PlayStation or something, which is hard. It would have to be an online thing or something where if you could play general manager, I think now with graphics and the way they are and stuff, you could do kind of storyline-ish, whatever, make some cute animatronic, you know, whatever. But I just, I, I have a hard time imagining some of those decisions made in Edmonton were bettering the team or anybody thought they were bettering the team, but um mcdavid has a tough spring he has a tough early um playoffs ahead of him uh in terms of decision making and he might have made his decision i can tell you right now if i was Connor mcdavid i've made my decision i want the fuck out of there and i want the fuck out of there as fast as possible um i'd be looking for a team for a rebuild that has some cap space that has some young talent that i can work with and i mean a great fit would be if detroit there's a couple of acquisitions detroit could make that would instantaneously um, re-give them credibility and a great restart. And I mean, and that's again, one of those cities that's so passionate about their hockey team, uh, a state that's so passionate about their hockey team that, um, uh, again, gives McDavid that kind of growing up in Canada hockey feel. I could just imagine him and Dylan Larkin tearing it up. So other than McDavid and Edmonton, I mean, watching the end of the season here is going to be pretty interesting, but keep in mind 
mathematically speaking, for a team to really make any significant changes um, in the standing at this point that are behind, they need to really kind of go 8-0-2 to have a shot um, of really leapfrogging. Positions at this point, like, it's a grind. And, I mean, teams that can't do it, as as Brian Burke put it, the teams that aren't in the playoffs' jobs is to try and make life difficult for the teams that are in the playoffs or that are in the hunt for the playoffs. And I think now the way they've done the draft odds, tanking and throwing the season for the bet number one pick is no longer a guarantee. So with that, you're seeing a little more effort down the lo- down the stretch here because it's not a guarantee you're going to get the first overall pick. Also, fans don't want to come and spend their money on on teams that don't give a shit. I mean, if you're an athlete, if you're performing, you're getting paid that kind of money, I think you owe it to your fans to put forth, you know, your best possible effort. If you're injured and need to call it in the season, fine. Um, but your fans deserve the best. They're, I mean, tickets to these events aren't cheap. And they're spending their hard-earned money to come and watch. I think the least uh, the athletes can do is, is perform at their best or simply say, no, I can't play tonight. Um, but... You're going to see now more races for the personal accolades um, come down to the wire now. So now you're going to see the, t- the uh, Art Ross Trophy, which Kucherov has a comfortable 12-point lead over McDavid. If there's any player that's capable of making up 12 points, it is McDavid, but that'll be tough to do. Um, the goal-scoring race is getting uh, quite interesting. Ovechkin's got a five-goal lead on Leon Dreisaitl. So that might be where I was saying um, if Edmonton, if Dreisaitl can get to 100 points, it'll be the first time in as long as I can remember that Edmonton had 200-point players on their team. Uh, so that's a good sign at least. Again, I think McDavid's done regardless. Other than that... Yeah, you're going to see those personal races. You're going to see things like the Vesna Trophy, that kind of race. Uh, you're going to see a lot of interesting things. You're going to see the call-ups now. Um, and, you know, I think you're going to see, yeah, some of those teams that are falling behind, it's going to be tough. That Calder Trophy race, that's when this really heats up because um, Jordan Binnington in St. Louis has put together a remarkable run. Uh, out of nowhere and single-handedly has made St. Louis a playoff team. A lot of people thought Elias Peterson was going to get it. Elias Peterson, though, had kind of the same thing that happened with Kyle Connor in his first year. It happens to a lot of players. It's hard playing that 82-game schedule, especially at that age. Um, and I think that, you know, player, you're, you know, mach- physically, you can go for 60 65 and then those last 17 games i mean they fucking kill and i think that's where you really start to see it taper off i think for a goalie it's a little different maybe um because you're not having to play every night uh but again elias pearson i mean it happens these guys he's not a big guy like physically and he starts to mature a little bit look at mark shifley um how long it took him to get where he's at um, Patrick Line is a little different because he has a he has a specialty, and I still stand by that. Um, other than that, though, yeah, you're gonna see the Vesna Trophy race. Um, being telling you that, but he could win, uh, win the Calder. Uh, Vesna, I mean, having the most wins usually helps. But you have one goalie with 35, which is Mark Andre Fleury, but he's now injured. And then you have three goalies right behind him with 34 wins in Anderson, Jones, and Vasilevsky. 
Um, I'd see an interesting statistic on Martin Jones. Basically, I think over the last X amount of years, is the only goalie to have 30 wins each of those seasons, or at least 30 wins each of those seasons. That's interesting. Connor Halbach's still up there with 30 wins. Um, we've seen a bit of a drop in his performance this year, I would say, um, which is kind of funny. But you've also seen more of a workload, I think, from Laurent Brassois, uh, which helps. So you're seeing a little more of that. You're seeing that workload split. I mean, look at a guy like Braden Holtby. He's only played 52 games. If he were to play the remaining 10, that still puts him at 62 games on the season. You're starting to see a little more of that spread with your goalies, which I think is very important. I think the days of seeing Martin Brodeur play 72 games a season, um, or Sergei Bobrovsky was big for doing it, it, it just wears the goalie down a little too much. And they, they can have one stellar season too. In today's day and age, the game is so fast. The equipment got smaller. It's tough to put your goalie in there for that many games. So I think you're seeing a lot more converging around that 60-game mark for your starting goalie and getting the most out of that 60 games. And then you're relying on your backup goalie to win you two-thirds of their starts. You know, you're relying on your number one goalie to try and get you, you know, 70 80% wins. I mean, Andre Vasilevsky this year has an 81% winning percentage. Frederick Anderson a 70% winning percentage. That's what you need out of your number one goalie. And if you can get 60 to 66% out of your backup goalie, you're a playoff team. And especially if your backup goalie is playing um, 20 games. So I think when you look at that, you're seeing a little more of that. So this is kind of where the end of the season kind of wraps up and you're seeing a little more of that. Um It'll be interesting to see if a team does make a drastic move and a real push. Again, look for any team that's going to do that. They have to go 8-0-2. Anyway, I think we can wrap this episode up there for now. I do thank you all once again for tuning into this episode. I thank you all for your uh, continued grow and growing support here for the Seems Legit podcast. Really, I love doing this podcast for all of you. And I love uh, that you guys have allowed me to be a voice that you have incorporated into your days. So thank you so much. If you're not already doing so, please follow me on both Instagram and Twitter at the Dude Sunny D. Thank you so much. Take care and bye-bye for now.